Welcome to the Granary Church podcast. We're happy you could join us. For more information on the Granary Church, head to granary.org.au or follow our socials at the Granary Church. So we are starting a new challenge today and it's got something to do with hope, as you may have guessed. But um, firstly, I just want to, uh, I want to welcome my friends from France, my uh, Sylvie, when we were in year seven, we were put together as pen friends because I was learning French and she was learning English. We're still friends. So it's nice. And she's put up my family and friends over many years. Probably had about 30 Australians go and stay there. So welcome. And uh, her English is way better than my French. So, But if you want to practice your French, off you go later. So what we do with our challenges is we take something that we're going to put into practice. And today, the, the one we're starting is called Take Him at His Word because there's something about people can say that they are followers of Jesus and, and sometimes it's because they can quote Bible verses. But there's a difference between knowing a Bible verse and actually doing it and the power is actually in doing it, not just knowing it. And so you can say there are three things remain faith, hope and love and the greatest of these is love. But you maybe live without faith, without hope and without love. But you can quote the verse. And so we're actually not just called to be people of knowledge but people of action, people who, who do something. And the thing is about um, God's word is that when you put it into practice, whether you're a Christian or not, it actually works. This is the amazing thing. I've got um, two groups at the moment. One's a women's Bible study that meets on every second Thursday night. Some of them are here at the moment and uh, we're having a great time, aren't we, women who come there? What we do is we get in, we unpack what it's saying, we ask God what he's saying to us personally and then we go and put it into practice. And now we've got a little group chat and people are putting up prayer requests and as we declaring the word over those prayer requests, we're seeing amazing things happen. And someone had an amazing, miraculous breakthrough in a relationship the other day that was just mind-blowing and you can't actually work out how it happened except that people joined their faith together and uh, and God moved. Um, I've got in another group of, um, of people who are particularly young people who they're not sure what they believe. They're not sure if it actually works or not. So I said, let's get together, let's read the Bible and let's see what stands out to you and then let's see what happens when you put it into practice. Because a lot of what it says that you've got to put into practice goes against what you naturally want to do. So, for instance, forgiveness. We don't always want to forgive. And if anyone has just said to you, just forgive, it's not that easy just to do it or just to rejoice. But anyway, one person was saying, he came back and I said, you know, how did things go? And, and that week he'd had something really, really bad happen to him and uh, something was stolen from him and he was really um, down about it. And he was driving along and he thought of that verse that says, rejoice in all, all sorts of trials. He said, I don't want to. See how it's, you don't actually want to do it? But he thought, oh, well, I'll give it a go and see what happens. And so he gave it a go and he said everything in his heart and mind changed because he put it into practice. And then there was another story, someone sitting in a funeral and filled with another situation in their mind where there was a lot of unforgiveness, so not really fully engaging in the funeral. I found this one really profound because he said, 
So he's sitting there thinking of how upset he was with someone and he asked God to help him forgive because you actually need God to do that because sometimes forgiveness is very difficult. And so he did and he said as soon as he did, his heart went so much more into the grief of the people around him to understand. I found that really profound. I said, I've got to use this in a message because what it said to me is this, if your heart is hard against one situation, it will just be hard. You know, it can't be hard in pockets. You know, like my one of my brothers used to say when we were little, like he couldn't eat his dinner, but he could eat dessert. And uh, my parents would say, well, you know, you couldn't eat your dinner. He goes, no, my dinner compartment was full, but my dessert compartment was really empty. So he still didn't get dessert. Uh, he, he was the smart one who when my parents would say, think of all the children who don't have food. And he go, you can send it. It's all right. You can send it. I wasn't like that. We were very different. Anyway, uh, you can't have two compartments. You either got a hard heart or a soft heart towards all people and it will affect you. And so, um, but what these people have been doing is taking um, a chance, taking a risk and seeing if it actually works. And then as you do that more and more, you start to hear God's spirit speak to you. So Graham and I were at this um, gathering, 24-7 prayer gathering in Melbourne last week and uh, or the week before now, and um, we're sitting down and I just glanced, the sort of rows were sort of in semicircle and I glanced and I just saw this lady and as I saw her, I don't know her, just normal, nicely dressed lady, and I felt she feels really down about herself. It's a prayer conference. She wants to pray but she feels like she's not a very good prayer. That was my thought. And I felt but she actually is a great prayer. And that's my thought. Every time I turned around, I keep seeing her again and I had this thought. And, uh, and I said, I told Graham this thought and he said, well, you'd better go and tell her. So I went over and introduced myself. I said, hello. She says, oh, yes. And uh, I told her. And as I told her, she started to get really teary. And she said, I'm just sitting here asking God, like, should I even be here? Am I a really good prayer or not? And... Um, I had to step out and her friend said, thanks for doing that. Thanks for being obedient. So you see, you've got to step out and take God at his word and then you start to see things happen. Now in that video that we've just watched, it talks about how God is creating new kinds of humans. And I think everybody wants to be this new kind of human. Everybody wants to be someone who brings life and hope into the world. Every person does. We just don't know how to do it. And there's a writer called Daryl Jenkins who he says, most 21st century people see the world in two dimensions. The dimensions are yourself and the other one is others and the environment. And it kind of becomes rational to work everything out from those two dimensions. Everything, the cause and effect of everything comes from those two dimensions. Either it's my fault or my good things that I'm doing and it's or your fault or your good things that you're doing or the environment around us with the weather or something like that. And so we have those two dimensions and we try to rationalise everything from those two dimensions. But as you look at what's going on in the world, it's actually not a battle of equals and there has to be something more has to be something more. So, for instance, apparently in the last 50 years, more women and girls have been killed than all the people in the first in the two world wars from last year, through forced abortions, through girls being left to die when they're born, through um, abuse, through dreadful things that are happening to women. More women. That's, that's illogical. That's not a two-dimensional cause and effect. It's a horrendous thing. And children who are being ta taken into sex slavery 
it's not logical. It's not a two-dimensional cause and effect thing. You can't work out why it's happening. And so where we're trying to rationalise things and work them out, and sometimes we can't get... You look at the wars that are happening at the moment um, and you look and think, how will they ever stop? Because it's constantly cause and effect, but it's not, not really rational. And so what the Bible is showing us is that life is more than about what we can see. It's far more. And the battle, we're called to engage in it. And I believe God is saying, it's time to wake up. Wake up to the spiritual battle. Because as you try, have you ever tried to solve a relationship conflict with normal human wisdom? And it doesn't always go well. Have you ever imagined, when I see them, I'll say this and this and this. And they'll go, oh, I'm sorry. Have you ever had just tried that and see how it works? And uh, sometimes you think, why didn't they understand what I was saying? Because there's always another dimension involved. And it says in this, in Ephesians 6 verse 12, we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Now you might read that and think, oh, that sounds really dark and gloomy or weird and mysterious. Well, yes, it is. And if you look around the world, there is a lot of evil and there is a lot of uh, powers that are destroying people's lives, it's destroying people's relationships, taking away people's hope, breaking up friends, breaking up families, killing people in wars. There's a lot of stuff going on. So don't you can look at that and think, oh, no, I don't want to talk about evil. Well, we, we need to because evil needs to stop and it's actually moving into this other dimension, this spiritual dimension that will do all the things that our hearts are crying out for. And so... In Ephesians 1, um, Paul prays this for the church in Ephesus. He prays, just let me tell you about the church in Ephesus actually because Graham and I visited Ephesus earlier this year. It's now a ruined city but it was actually illegal to be a Christian in Ephesus and um, on the, the the roads there you can see a little circle with the, um, the ichthus sign which is the sign of um, a fish uh, um, which means that there are Christians there and it was secret so that you had to uh, find people, let, me, let, let you know that there were Christians in that environment, in that city, but you couldn't, you had to find out who they were because if you um, were found out, you would go to prison or worse. And that still happens around the world today. In fact, the fastest growing church at the moment is in Iran where it's illegal to share your faith. And the next fastest growing church is Afghanistan because the Iranians are going there. And so it's not, um, you know, these things that are going on, these people really know how to battle. And we Westerners are not that good at it because life is very um, comfortable for us. We don't have to battle. And therefore we kind of go into a bit of a sleep and we don't wake up. And I think God is saying it's time to wake up. And in Ephesians, he prays that the church there would know these three things. Firstly, the hope, the hope that we have. And we, we just heard about that on that video because the hope that we have is not just an optimism that, oh, well, hopefully everything will work out. It's actually in a God who was raised from the dead. And that seems impossible. And because of that, you have a hope for impossible things. And as he was saying, you keep looking back to that to enable you to look ahead. Hope for impossible things to happen. So he prays that our hope will increase. And that's what we're praying for each other, that our hope will increase. Secondly, he prays that you'll understand the inheritance that you have. Because in Jesus, you don't just have a normal life. You have 
all the goodness, all the grace, all the mercy, the kindness, the love of God, you have answers to prayers. You have a great inheritance and you're meant to have it and you're meant to fight for it. And it will be stolen from you, but you're meant to go into battle to fight for that inheritance for you, for your family, for your children, for your church, for your nation. We're meant to go into battle for that. And that's the, so the first thing is the hope. Second thing is the inheritance. But the third thing is this, it's the power. And he says this, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. So just pause for a moment and ask yourselves, do you understand the incredible greatness of God's power for you who believe him? Do you understand it? And probably the answer for all of us should be not enough. I don't know how much we all understand it. depends on where your faith journey is at the moment. You might understand it this much. You might understand it massively. But nobody really understands the incredible greatness of God's power at this stage because there's so much more to explore. But he explains what it is, okay? What I'm about to read is the power for you who believe. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. The power for you who believe is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the heavenly place of honour at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else. The reason that you need to understand that is because you can think there are rulers and authorities and powers and leaders and circumstances in your life that seem too big. But the power that you have in Jesus is bigger than all of those powers, not only in this world but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. So just to put that in a nutshell, this is what it means. If you believe in him, you get the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. Jesus said it, Acts 1.8, when he sent his first disciples out, he said, my power will come upon you and you'll be my witnesses. In other words, you won't just go and tell, me, tell people an old story. You will show the resurrection power in your life. The way you speak, the way you pray, everything will show this power of God. That's the power of God that's been given to people who believe and our job is to go into all the world and continue what he began to defeat the powers of darkness. And there's a lot of powers of darkness in our world and it's only going to happen when people actually take that power. Because you can come and sit and say, I like those verses, but you actually have to engage. And the early Christians, they engaged in this and they learned as they went along. So Jesus said to them, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And so they waited and they prayed. Now, this is essential. You'll keep hearing me say this because we're going to, to practice this between now and Christmas, more fervent prayer. They waited and they prayed. They didn't even know what they were waiting for or praying for, but then the Holy Spirit came upon them and they went out and that day 3,000 people gave their lives to Christ and were baptised and the world began to change. That's why the world is broken up between BC and AD because the world began to change there and people started to put the word of God into practice and things started to change. Grace and forgiveness and kindness and mercy started to come into the world in ways that had never been seen before. Humility of leaders came into the world in a way that had never been seen before. The world changed so much that we Westerners don't even realise how much we have embraced it now our um our legal systems our western democracy is all based on things that are written in the bible the way that we value now humility and forgiveness and kindness all comes from that whether you're a believer in jesus or not it all comes from that and we're living with the wealth of it but as i've heard some people say we, we want the kingdom without the king 
We want the, the benefits of it without actually following him. And when you follow him, you get to be someone who fulfills what he asked us to do to bring goodness into the world, to bring his light into the world. And you see these early Christians, that was their first surprise day. And then they keep going on just doing what he says to do and amazing things happen. So it says in Acts 12, a story of Peter, one of Jesus' followers, who was thrown into prison for sharing his faith. Now, some of us would think if we're thrown into prison for sharing our faith, maybe we did something wrong because we've got this idea that if something bad happens, maybe we did something wrong. But he didn't see it like that. Generally, when they were thrown into prison, they thought, oh, well, maybe I'm meant to share my faith with people in prison. That's why I'm here. And what happened was he's put in prison and the church is earnestly praying to God for him. And that night, an angel comes, touches him on the side. The gates fly open, the chains fly off him because you're not only locked, you've got your chain to the wall as well. All the guards are asleep and he just walks out. He goes to the house where people are praying and the servant girl called Rhoda opens the door and she runs in and says, Peter's at the door and they say, impossible. And uh, he's left at the door, uh, even though they're in praying for him to get out. I find that really encouraging. You know why? Because it means that even these amazing early Christians were praying and they still were surprised when God answered their prayer. So it just shows that sometimes he just wants you to exercise your faith and uh, and you won't have it all together. You won't always be expecting amazing answers and then God will bring them and surprise you. And what will happen? Your faith will grow stronger. The reason you have to keep getting together to pray is if you don't, you never have to exercise your faith. But faith is like a spiritual muscle and the more you pray and the more you believe, the more your faith gets stronger. And that's why Jesus said, ask, keep on asking. Seek, keep on seeking. Knock, keep on knocking. And sometimes we think, well, I asked once. Well, he's saying, keep asking. And you think, why do I have to keep asking? Because when you keep asking, your head and your heart start to change. They start to grow in faith. Then Just a few chapters later, we read the story of Paul and Silas. They were also thrown into prison. It was a common thing then. Too many people were getting excited about your faith. The best thing was to throw the leaders into prison. So these guys were thrown into prison. And we read this story. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Now, when you pause here, you can just read that sentence really, really quickly. But what they were actually doing was taking God at his word. Okay, if you were thrown into prison, would your first response be to pray and start singing worship songs like we did this morning? It might be to cry, might be to rage. I don't know what it would be. It might be to be despairing, to be hopeless. But they did something that would normally go against what we naturally want to do. They started praying and they started singing hymns of praise. They took God at his word. There's the, the power is in that. And suddenly... There was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he threw he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped because if the jailer lost the prisoners, the jailer was put to death. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas and then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. And the story is he took them home to his house and they met his household and he, they, these were enemies and they were becoming friends. This is what God is doing, reconciling people who were once enemies to one another. And so what we're learning here is if we're really following as Jesus, 
is what we read in 2 Corinthians 10 for the weapons we use in our fight are not the world's weapons but God's powerful weapons which we use to destroy strongholds because what we're seeing is that there is a third dimension to the world and it's a spiritual realm and we're called not just to philosophically follow but to spiritually engage in this different world. And the weapons we have are the weapons of our prayer and the weapons of our faith and the weapons of uniting our hope together. So we need to look at the world and the battle going on and not accept it. Don't just say, well, that's what it's like. If you, has anyone seen the movie The Sound of Freedom? It's about rescuing the children who are being trafficked in South America. It's, it's well, well worth watching, but it's also very harrowing, but it's true. And children are just being stolen. And uh, there's a line in the movies, won't spoil it if you want to watch it, where this man desperately wants to go and find a particular girl and and the, the detective who's working with him says, look, it's too late. She is gone. You just have to accept the fact that she is gone. And he won't resign himself to that. He will go all out to find this little girl who's been trafficked. And I really believe that's the love that God wants us to have for people and for the world, that we won't resign ourselves to, oh, well, that's bad and that's how it is. That would be like when Jesus died and was buried, God said, oh, well, it's too late now. And he raised him from the dead. And we're called to have this same battle. We don't move into this with resignation and just accept things the way they are. We rely on this new power source, the weapons of divine power that God has given us. And we unite in prayer for our world, for our families, for our children, for our children's children, for our city, for our nation, for the things that are happening. And, and we have become apathetic in the Western world and we're called to become powerful. And it's not a power that comes from ranting and raging. It's a power that comes from humility and a power that comes from love and a power that comes that would, would surrender itself. Jesus said this, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great, great glory to my Father. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. This is like, it just sounds like a nice little gentle message. It's a powerful message. He's saying two things you've got to do. Remain in his love. To remain in his love is something you've got to battle against every day, battle for every day, because it's to remember how much he loves you and his grace and mercy for you and how much he accepts you and how much he cares for you and how much he follows you. And to have that, ask him to have that same love for other people. And every day there'll be something that will happen that will put a little barrier between you and God and make you not love other people. And every day he's saying, remain in this love. Just abide is another word saying to just to live, to live in that. And then to have his words remaining in your heart and your mind and to do them. And he said, those two things, if you can keep doing those two things, you can ask for anything you want and it will be granted to you anything so you got to it's the love of God in here the love of God for others and the words remaining in you and you can ask for anything and so in uh, 1 John 1 John says this this is in essence this is in the message version this in essence is the message we heard from Christ and are passing on to you God is light pure light there's not a trace of darkness in him another translation it says um, this is the message we've You've heard from the beginning, God is light and in him there is no darkness. So you and I, that when it says this light here, I want you to understand what this light is. Light is clarity. 
Light is goodness. Light is purity. Light is love. Light is the very, very essence of God. And this is the message that in him there is no darkness and people long for the light. So you can live in the darkness. It doesn't mean that you're worse than anyone else here. It just means you can't see. If you're in a dark room and you turn the lights off, you can't see and you're in the darkness. You don't know how to move around. When the light comes on, you see two things really clearly. You see God and you see yourself. And when you see God and you see yourself really clearly, suddenly you start to know how to navigate the world really, really well. And this is actually right from the very beginning of the Scriptures, right from the very, very beginning is this whole idea of light and darkness. And we need to get our eyes, our, our minds wrapped around this so that we know what we're, battle we're called into. So Genesis 1, 2 to 3. The earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters. Darkness. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good Then he separated the light from the darkness. Now you may think that means like the sun and the moon, but it doesn't mean that because if you keep reading, a little bit later, sun and moon are created. So this is not physical light. This is spiritual light. The world from the beginning was spiritual. And sometimes we think, why do we live in a world with so much evil, where there's so much evil? When you were first put here, there was light pushing out the darkness. And you were created in the image of God to continue this blooming, flourishing of the world. We're called, the world is essentially spiritual, not physical. It's essentially spiritual. It began as a spiritual entity. And then in Genesis 1, 27 to 28, it says, So God created human beings in his own image. In, his, in the image of God, he created them. You and I are created in his image with his power. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. In other words, make it a beautiful place. But to undo that, you have to understand the world is essentially spiritual before it's physical, if we're going to make it a, a beautiful place. And God is calling us to engage in that so that we can make the world a beautiful place. And while we sit back resigned and just saying, oh, well, there's trouble in the world, we're not doing what we're called to do right from Genesis 1 is to make the world a beautiful place and bring light into the darkness. The, um, the Scottish author Robert Louis Stevenson was very sick as a child, spent a lot of time in bed. And there's a, a story about him one night where his nanny goes into the room and he's got his nose pressed against the window pane of his home and he's, there's a, a light, lamp lighter coming down lighting the gas lights in the street. And the nanny says, what are you doing? And he says, look, there's a man coming down the street punching holes in the darkness. Beautiful image, punching holes in the darkness. And you can see why he became a famous writer because um, that's how he saw the world as a child. Punching holes in the darkness. And there's something aggressively beautiful about the punching holes in the darkness that you and I are called to be punching holes in the darkness and to engage in prayer on behalf of people and the nation and the world that would punch holes in the darkness. The writer Daryl Johnson says, The greatest power in the universe is the weakness of sacrificial love. And to truly be people who engage in prayer, as I heard John Tyson say last week, um, it has to come from love. It has to come from a serving love for God and a love for people. If it doesn't come from a humility, um, it's not really the love of God that will change the world. Because you see, there's a story um, that Jesus told 
well, he didn't, sorry, a story about Jesus. Jesus was at the home of a man called Simon and Simon was a Pharisee and these Pharisees thought they had religion all worked out and that Jesus didn't. So they asked him around for a meal and they were there to really um, show, the, show him how superior they were and to check out on him to see if he was really from God or not. And so they were full of their own superiority, their own religion, thought they were very morally superior to the rest of the world the rest of the world and sometimes the church can be like that we can see ourselves as superior to the rest of the world it's not true we're just people like everybody else but we've been invested with this grace and kindness and power of god and so this woman comes into the meal and um she is we don't know what she's done wrong but we know we have she has a bad reputation that's all we know and not and and so she comes and she's got an alabaster jar of oil and she breaks it and she pours it on jesus feet and she wipes his feet with her hair and these men are just horrified. Firstly, it's a woman came into their presence, which is a dreadful thing to them. And secondly, she's a woman of bad reputation. And this is how they look at the situation. They say, if he's really from God, he will know this woman is, doesn't have a good reputation and he will get rid of her. Sometimes people think like that. Sometimes people in churches think like that. This woman does not have a good reputation. But Jesus turns to the woman and he says to Simon, this man, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, which is customary. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, which is a way of greeting. But this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head which is what they should have done to treat him as a guest. And she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Now he, there's something powerful. In an, another one of the Gospels, when this story is told, Jesus said this story will be told forever where the good news is preached. This woman becomes one of the most famous people in history. We don't know her name. We don't know what she did wrong, but this is what we do know. We know what they did wrong because she came in full of love for God and humility and awareness of herself. And they were full of themselves. And they wanted to show Jesus how good they were. And, you know, many of us want to think we'll go to heaven and hand in our resume and say, look what I've done. And he'll say, who are you? Who are you? Like, I wasn't looking for your resume. And these guys are there giving God, Jesus, their resume to show how good they are. And they've determined how they'll know how good he is by the way he treats this woman. And they expect him to treat her by kicking her out. And he embraces her. And here's the interesting thing. Because you read in Romans 8 that if you follow Jesus, there's no condemnation. And they obviously don't because they're full of condemnation. They tell Jesus what she's done wrong. And he turns and tells them what they've done wrong. You didn't do this, you didn't do this, you didn't do this. But for her, we have no idea because he covers all her sins with his grace and his mercy. And if we come to people with grace and mercy, we will be shown grace and mercy. He says, if you forgive little, you love little. But if you've been, sorry, if you've been forgiven little, you will love little. But if you've been forgiven a lot, you will love a lot. In other words, just open up, just live in the light, see who you really are, experience his grace and mercy and you'll just love people. It'll just flow out of you. You just won't be able to help it. you just love people. And so to finish off, I just want to read from Romans 8, 
in the message translation. Um, some of you may know this. If you know Romans 8 well, some of you won't know it, but it says in uh, other translations, you'll know it. it says, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is how it says it in the message. With the arrival of Jesus the Messiah, that faithful dilemma is resolved. Those who enter into Christ being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous low-lying black cloud. A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a fated lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. He goes on to say, those who think they can do it on their own, like those guys, Simon and his house, we're, we're really great. And so, so many of us have to get over ourselves and say, we're not that great. We're just regular human beings. We're not that great. Because those who think they can do it on their own end up obsessed with measuring their own moral muscle. And we can all do that. Have you ever prayed and demanded God do something because you're so great? You know, like, I've done this and this and this. Why That's measuring up your own moral muscle. Have you ever compared yourself to someone else and thought you're actually a bit better than them? You wouldn't say it to anyone else because you're basically ashamed that you thought that. But in your heart, you look and think, well, you know, I'm smarter, I'm kinder, I'm nicer, I look better, whatever. And that is really, really living in the darkness. It's like, you know, looking in your mirror. You know, have you ever been to a restaurant where you go into the bathroom? The women will understand this more. And you can't see the mirror because it's so dark. So you actually think you look really good. And uh, you don't. You wake up. It's an illusion. So if you look in the mirror in the darkness, you think you look great. So you need a bit of light shining on you and you think, oh, that's what I really look like. It's not as great as what I thought. And, um, and it says, those who trust in God's action in them find that God's spirit is in them, living and breathing God. Nothing to do. Just be like that woman. doesn't matter what you've done, what you're doing. You just come to him in humility and he fills you with his spirit and his love and his kindness and you start to punch holes in the darkness. Obsession with self in these matters is a dead end. Attention to God leads us out into the open, into a spacious free life. So don't you see that we don't owe this old do-it-yourself life one red cent? There's nothing in it for us, nothing at all. The best thing to do is to give it a decent burial and get on with your new life. You know, some of us have died, but we want to keep going back to that old way of being in control of everything and thinking you're great. But God's spirit beckons. There are things to do and places to go. This resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant because you are called to go and defeat some spiritual powers of darkness and some punch some holes in the darkness. So it's adventurously expectant, greeting God with a childlike, what's next, Papa? God's spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who he is and we know who we are, father and children. And we know we're going to get what's coming to us, an unbelievable inheritance. We go through exactly what Christ goes through, which is not always fun. If we go through the hard times with him, then we're certainly going to go through the good times with him. And so I think God is saying, will you wake up and start punching some holes in the darkness? And you won't be able to do it with your own rational strength. And so what we're going to start today, between now and Christmas, because some people might think it's just this week, uh, there's 168 hours in the week. Uh, that's day and night. And um, there's quite a few churches in the Western world now starting 168 hours of prayer every week. 
And so there's some clipboards going to come around and you can sign up. So what we're giving you opportunity, you don't have to do it. There's no spiritual brownie points in this. To choose an hour in a week where you would devote that to prayer. And if you put your phone number there as well so that we can all connect, I'll send out, you might think, how am I going to pray for an hour? I'll send you some resources to show you how to pray for an hour. And we've done this before and I've had people say, oh, Actually, I went way over an hour, and that's okay. You don't have, you're not in trouble if you didn't finish on the hour. You just keep praying. You, we'll set up a place here. You can come and, ch- and pray in the church. You can pray at home. If you're choosing 3 a.m., you might want to pray at home. You can get a little group of people. You can pray by yourself. And all we need is at least 168 people to choose an hour a week. You can have more um, if you want to. And if you, if, as the clipboard comes around, you see that, that someone else chose the hour you want, just put your name there. Two people are allowed to pray at the same time. It's, that's permissible as well, uh, lest you get afraid by some of the rules. The rules, the, there are basically no rules. It's just start praying. Start praying for the church. Start praying for people's families, people's friends, praying for our city, praying for our nation, praying for other nations, praying for the world. And um, pray that light will come into the darkness. I honestly believe as we do this, we're going to do this from now till Christmas and then see how we're going. And um, But we'll keep connected with each other because then during one some week, we might say particularly this week, pray for peace in Israel or something that we really feel strongly that we're all got to unite our prayers around. And you and I will see amazing things happen. I can promise you that because I know God's word is true. And if we have his word abiding in our hearts and we're living in his love, we will see extraordinary things happen. So as that comes around, um, some people have already got their names printed on because they put their name earlier this week and you can join them if you want to. There's about five clipboards coming around so we won't know until we collect them all from our three services here and from Maitland how many hours we've filled up. But 168 shouldn't be too hard to fill up. And uh, if you can get up in the early hours of the morning, choose that, whatever whatever you like, and we'll see how we go. So um, I think it's time to start punching some holes in the darkness. So, um, well, let's just sit there while the band plays and um, we'll pass those around and then Sam's going to come and close. Thank you for listening to our Sunday podcast. If you enjoyed it, either subscribe or follow on the podcast app that you use to keep up to date on when our next Sunday podcast gets released. Have a safe and blessed week.